Did you hear the one about the big boat that got stuck? No, not the joke. The incredibly complex global shipping crisis. A massive cargo ship spending a third day stuck in Egypt's Suez Canal, clogging one of the busiest shipping routes in the world. The 400-meter-long Ever Given got stuck on Tuesday morning, running aground in high winds reportedly after a power failure on board. Yeah, that one. And okay, fine. There were also jokes. It's time for our first-ever recurring canal-based alert segment. Do you see that boat right there? Yeah. That boat is stuck. What do you think they should do? What would you do? I would try to lift it out. This is one of those stories that impacts basically everyone in the world, but thankfully not in a massively dangerous way. Here it is in short. The ship got stuck in the Suez Canal. It caused billions of dollars in shipping delays worldwide, and then it got unstuck and shipping is slowly returning to normal. And if that's all this story was, well, we wouldn't be doing an episode on it. Oh, but it's way more than that. The Big Boat is a metaphor for all of us trying to exist in the middle of a pandemic. The story is a lesson in how fragile our world-spanning supply chains really are. And it was also just a chance for all of us to understand that no matter how complex and precise our 21st century plans are, they can still be derailed by a bad windstorm and a too big thing stuck in a too small space. And yes, it was funny. That little bulldozer trying to dig out the gigantic ship will live forever. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Boat Story. Lori Ann LaRocco is the author of several books about the shipping trade, including Trade War, Containers Don't Lie, Navigating the Bluster, and has been reporting on this every day for CNBC. Hello, Lori Ann. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. I hope uh, you're still standing after uh, being deluged by <laughs> all the requests for interviews about this. It's uh, It's been pretty crazy. So maybe recap uh, for folks who have not spent the last week, like most of us, obsessing over a big boat. Um, what is the big boat and, and how did it get stuck in the Suez Canal? Well, they're still trying to figure out the exact cause. But what we're looking at is you had um, a container ship known as the Ever Given. And that's considered a mega container vessel. It could have an upwards of 20,000 containers. So those boxes that you see, you know, when you drive down the road, when you're near, say, the Port of Halifax or Vancouver or wherever you may be in, in Canada, those are the big containers that that uh, that Ever Given uh, would be having on. And so what happened was during uh, its uh, piling, when they're going through the canal, uh, there was a sandstorm that hit. And when you look at uh, a container vessel, the higher up you go, so, and this was about 12 to 14 stories high. That's how hmm. highly stacked that these vessels are with containers. The higher you go, you have a sail effect, just like a sailboat. So what happens is right. if you have a big storm and the wind is blowing, like you had with this uh, sandstorm, and it came on hard, it came on quick, and visibility was none, okay? So you're blinded. 
you're driving this cargo ship through a very narrow canal. The containers on the ship acted as a sail and it started to push the vessel. And so what happened was you are a pilot, you are blind. What do you do? You try to lean against the wind. So you are navigating and you're moving the wheel of the vessel against the wind. What a lot of people think what happened is because it's a large vessel, it's not like when you're, say, you're on your pleasure boat out in the bay or you're driving your car where you turn the wheel and automatically moves. It takes time. It takes a few minutes for uh, the movement of your wheel versus the rudders of the boat. What happened was a lot of people think the pilot overcompensated and then ran the, um, the ship aground. And so what happened was you have this behemoth vessel loaded with in upwards of 20,000 containers stuck in the sand. And so if you were on Twitter, like I was, and you saw this random photo of a little bulldozer, one bulldozer digging out the vessel, I really thought it was fake news. I I thought it was a meme or fake news. I was like, what in the (laughs) world is this? And that's what Egypt was trying to do is to use a little Bob the Builder dozer to try to dig out the vessel. And uh, that's uh, how the Suez was blocked for, oh my goodness, for way too many days. (laughs) What was um, the immediate impact uh, of the blockage? Uh, And and maybe explain it to us as as folks who don't usually read about this stuff and, you know, assumed the Suez Canal is, is important for global trade for sure. But like, how important, what was blocked? Sure. So the, the ship itself literally blocked both, uh, both uh, trade lanes because you can go through uh, the north and the south end. And so it runs everything out. You have about, oh my goodness, in terms of when you're looking at the amount of trade that flows through there, I want your listeners to look around their apartment, their home. 90% of everything in your home comes on a ship. This is why you should care about global trade. This is why you should care about trade wars, about trade deals, all right, about the USMCA, all of this good stuff. Trade is important to, uh, you know, for toilet paper, for your clothing, for your furniture. And that's what, what what was and is, in fact, still stuck in the Suez Canal. So when you're looking at uh, the, the blockage, you're looking at all of these consumer products. And actually, when it comes to Canada, uh, uh, a good percentage of the product that comes into the country goes through the Suez Canal. So this is something that really should be near and dear uh, to everybody's heart in terms of why trade matters and why the blockage matters. And also, when you look at the canal, normally about 51 ships go through a day. You have over 300 vessels that are stuck right now. So it's going to take about four days for all of this backlog to go through. And it's still going to take time to get to its, uh, to its ports, to its final destinations. So you're looking at at least a two-week delay of receiving product. And when you're looking at companies up in Canada, as well as in the United States and around the world, inventories are very lean. And so you are facing shortages where Honda in Canada had to stop uh, you know, making some of their cars because parts are not there. This is why when you're looking at something where you have 
12 to 15% of global trade going through and it stopped. This is why it matters. So how did you feel then? And I'm going to ask this because this is what kind of fascinates me is this really serious story that was a, a massive disruption to global trade. And as you know, you just pointed out, our audience can look around their house and see all these things that that were blocked by this. Um, you know, you mentioned Twitter. It became something much different uh, than that. You know, it became the meme of the week and the story of the week. And what is it like to watch uh, something that you know the severity of kind of morph into something completely different? You know, it's it's unreal. Like when I saw this happen, I, I automatically went to my my boss, the managing editor at CNBC, and I said, this is a big deal. Right. <laughs> like, because trade flows. And when trade doesn't flow, you have a backup. And so it's a web. Everything is interconnected. Um, for example, and I'm sure your audience knows, the labor strike, right, when it came to the rails. Major labor story breaking overnight in Canada. There are now thousands of Canadian National Railway workers on strike this morning. That threw everything through a tizzy at the ports and, and the flow of trade because people weren't working. Every cog in the trade wheel is important. And so you have, you had at that time, you have $400 million in goods that move an hour through the Suez Canal, $400 million in an hour. Wow. And so if you have these delays, the ripple effects are going to be insane. And the other thing is when you're looking at the empty containers, um, China last year had a, a tremendous surge of exports compared to any country in the world because they manufacture pretty much almost everything that we want right around the world. They need those empty containers to fill up the boxes to send up to Canada, to the U.S., to Africa, to wherever. They don't have those boxes. So you're going to have ripple effects for months in terms of inventory supply chains. It's like, think of pipes. Trade is like water. All right. It flows constantly. What happened with the Suez? It's a blockage. You put a block in bank, it stops, it clogs up. You get a backlog, right, of 300 plus ships. Well, what happens? Eventually, they're going to start moving and then they're going to go to the ports. That creates a surge of vessels going into the port, which then creates more congestion. And that congestion causes delays of products getting off the vessel. So even though now that the Ever Given, thankfully, is, you know, has is moved out and things are flowing, we're going to be feeling these ripple effects for quite some time. But that's not what anybody was really talking about on Twitter. No, they were making it as a meme. I mean, I mean, honestly, when I saw the bulldozer, I, I really I looked at it and then I was like, this has got to be fake. And so I kept on <laughs> looking and looking. And then when I realized it was a legit photo, I'm looking at it going, are you kidding me? Like, like, I'm just like, the ship is bigger than the Eiffel Tower, bigger than the Empire State Building. Right. You're, you're using a Bob the Builder dozer, one, I might add, to, to dig away. I'm like, well, where are the other ones? Like, it, it just, it seems so futile. And so you had to bring in the big guns and you had to bring the dredgers in so they could dig under the vessel so you can get water under it so it could float. So it, it, it was just, it was mind boggling to see how they thought that a bulldozer could be the solution. And thankfully, you know, other people came in and, you know, they had the appropriate equipment to, you know, free up the ship. In the meantime, while all that work was going on, 
what were the other ships doing? I know I saw, you know, some radar photos of how many of them were just kind of stuck there waiting, but uh, what alternatives were available? Well, it, depend, it depended on where you were in the, in the Suez. So if you're in, if you're in there, like literally in there, you're not going anywhere. You just have to drop anchor and you just have to wait. Uh, when it came to the, the North end or the South end, um, depending on how long you would wait, you know, you had logistics managers and carriers all deciding, is it better to go around, turn around and go around to the Horn of Africa around that horn, which tacks on about a good eight days of travel. Wow. Get it, you know, forego it, go burn up some extra fuel, take a little bit of time, but at least move and get there. Because at that moment, you didn't know how long you were going to be waiting. And so when it comes to trade, you got to get it in, you know, there, there's that ripple effect because now that that vessel is late by X amount of days, it throws off a whole system. So, you know, carriers have to decide, like, do I have to cancel sailings in order to make up for this? You know, do I have to cancel ports in order to sort of get, you know, back on time? Mm -hmm. There's a whole logistics uh, checklist, if you will, that has to kind of like you have to methodically go through. But we even had um, LNG vessels that were bound from the Gulf of Mexico to the Suez they diverted, like you literally saw all of these vessels going in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and banging a Yui hmm. and then going through, uh, going towards the Panama Canal. The other thing that I wanted to ask in regards to that, like eight days uh, is a long time. Some of these ships are still delayed and backed up in the canal. Like you mentioned all sorts of household goods on these ships. Are there anything on them that could spoil? Like I assume some things just go bad with an extra eight days. Well, when it comes to anything that's fresh or frozen, they're in containers. They're called reefer containers. And it's just a snazzy way of saying it's a refrigerated container. And so when you have reefer containers, they do have the ability to keep things cold because they're plugged in. Right. So you shouldn't really have food spoilage. It's the, it's the vegetables that might not be able to. You know, you did have livestock that was stuck on the vessels. Really? Yeah literally livestock like I, I you know but i don't know if it's I, I don't know where they were going and a lot of the suez does go to europe mm -hmm. so when it comes to the when it comes to planning for voyages if you will they always do plan for delays because there are always storms at sea right so you know three or four days it's kind of in your window like i've spoken with a lot of energy analysts um three or four day window not bad it's kind of cushion built into the system. Anything over that time, that's when you can kind of look at inventories. So I would hope with the livestock that they would have enough feed to feed the animals because you have to plan. Um, just something of this magnitude, it's a lot larger than what you would plan for. Can you tell me a bit more uh, in detail about how the ship came free? You mentioned dredgers, but uh, it seems like it was an incredibly complicated operation. Sure. So anybody that I that saw the lone bulldozer will kind of laugh at about what I'm going to tell you. So the dredgers, okay, these are these um, contraptions, if you will, that suck out dirt. Okay, they dig out the dirt um, underneath um, vessels and canals to make things wider. The dredgers had to remove thirty thousand cubic meters of sand around the ship. 
So that's why when I was telling you earlier, when I was seeing this, I'm like, are you flipping kidding me? Like, how can you think one bulldozer is going to move 30,000 cubic meters of sand? It's insane. Like it was that wedged under. So what happened was you have to get water underneath the ship to make it buoyant. Okay. Now, part of the vessel, of course, was, was in water and there was a good chunk that wasn't right. It was like wedged in the sand. Mm -hmm. So you had to suck it out. So you had, you had the dredgers go in there along with excavators to dislodge the, these thousands of cubic meters of sand. Okay. And so at this time as well, you had um, the high tide. Now the high tide was only like one meter high. It was not a huge high tide. So that's why you had to have the tugboats there, the dredger, and the excavators all working at the same time because the tugs used a push and pull maneuver uh, to kind of like unwedge the ship. And then you had the dredgers like sucking out the sand from underneath it so more water can get underneath. And that's how they lifted it up. Because the war, the one thing they wanted to not do is where you would have to have a crane brought in by a ship, because there are special ships that have cranes on them, where they would take one container off at a time to lighten the load. And that would have taken days. Oh, so man. this by, by far was the quote, quickest way of freeing the ship. And thankfully, after doing all this, they were able to do that. How long, um, how long could this have gone on before, you know, things got really crazy? We, we had six days or so, you know, you mentioned that, that boats travel with a few days of give on either side anyway, to account for the weather. But like, at what point, um, would this have become a gigantic global problem? Oh gosh. If it, if it went longer than a week, if it went longer than a week, I think it would have been really, really bad. Just, just for the fact of the amount, the amount of congestion. And when you looked at how many vessels were in each part of the canal, you know, there's a, there's a, there's not, it's, it's a very tight situation. Right. And, you know, to, to kind of put it into perspective, I interviewed the head of the Panama canal, um, for my American shipper column. And so I was asking him saying, what do you think went wrong? Right. Heck, you know, heck he runs the Panama canal. And they were telling me that the part of the Suez canal okay, is so narrow. It's as narrow as one of their parts of their canal. They normally take control of the vessels over at the Panama Canal, and they help them with tugboats to get them through that narrow passage. Huh. In the Suez, they do not do that. So it's interesting to see how they're, they're like the different parts of the canals are called cuts. And so the Gilead cut in the Panama Canal is just as narrow as the part of the cut in the Suez. And so you've got one canal that actually takes control of the vessel. Whereas in the Suez, it's it's the pilot. It's the person taking the vessel on, of their own fruition. They don't have assistance. So it, it's kind of interesting to see what the Suez is going to do. Um, there's going to be talk to see if that part of the canal needs to be widened. So it's, it's, it's very, very different because you've got a very narrow passage that's reliant on the ocean and reliant on the tides. And when it comes to human error, um, and if this is indeed human error, um, you know, the consequences as we have seen, you know, will be felt around the world. 
What do you think will be the lasting legacy of the past week? You know, will it be these lessons that we've learned about uh, global trade and how precarious it is when this kind of stuff happens? Or, or will it be that picture of the little steam shuffle trying to dig out the gigantic boat? You know, I think for the most people, it's going to be the it's going to be that reality meme um, of of the bulldozer. But I think from a, a business standpoint, and we've seen this since uh, COVID, um, supply chain management, logistics management is something that is very important, and you need to have redundancies. Um, and as we've seen, you know, it doesn't matter where we are in the world, everybody needed toilet paper during COVID, and there was none. People needed Lysol, people needed this and that, and it wasn't there. And I think people now realize the importance, hopefully, of trade. But I hope that businesses, if this doesn't smack them sideways, you really have to have redundancy in your business plan. And I highly urge people to Google supply chain and look at Nike. Um, most of the Nike products that go through uh, up to Canada, a lot of them go through the port of Tacoma. Well, because of the rail system and how the rails are so inundated with containers, there are not enough rail cars to move product. Nike couldn't get a lot of their inventory in. And so it impacted their earnings. So, you know, when it comes to Nike Canada, and if you want to have whatever apparel or footwear, you might not get it on time because it's stuck on a, on a ship. That, I hope, is something that more with businesses around the world understand, that you need to have a plan and you need to have an A, B, C, D, and E in order to have business nowadays, because we're all intricately connected. We got a great business lesson and a great meme out of it. So, Lorianne, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Lorianne LaRocco, an expert in a small corner of the world that suddenly everyone wants to visit. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can also talk to us anytime you want on email, thebigstorypodcast. That is all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And we're in every podcast player, and Apple and Google and Stitcher and Spotify. It does not matter. You choose your favorite. You find us there. You leave us a review. Make sure it's five stars. Say nice words. I'll read it, and I'll feel warm. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.